0: Hi, sickly one. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> gosh.
1: What was that? Sorry. Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, better than you, by all accounts. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You, you, you know that song, the, the sunscreen song? You remember that from years and years ago? Sunscreen song? I don't think so. It's like, wear sunscreen. It's and it's this guy basically going through. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a great song. It, it's this basically this guy going through and giving people life advice. It was it was I don't know. It's like years and years ago. But I have a follow up hit to that, which is don't get stomach flu. Oh my gosh, it was awful. Oh,
0: well yeah, we did promise on the exponent Twitter account lurid details. Um, we do we we do want to avoid the kind of like parental warning, you know, label
1: so. Perhaps perhaps not too lurid. Okay, I, so I went, it, it happened last Sunday and then I went, I managed to get an appointment to see the doctor on Monday and they weighed me when I went in. And then three days of literally, it was nothing except for water and Pedialyte. And I went back and they weighed me three days later and I was 10 pounds lighter. And I'm I'm reasonably tall, but like there's not lots of me to begin with. And uh, no, no,
0: you, I mean just disappointing. I I think I might have told this story, but I stayed at your house I think last year. Uh huh. And uh, and I was just traveling around, and, and sometime in the morning I get a message from you saying, "Have you seen my pants?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> we haven't. Told and I'm story like, and I'm I like, think. and I'm
0: like, no, not not that I not that I know of. And, and and then uh, I pull over and I look at my trunk and there are my pants in my suitcase. And lo and behold, I'm wearing your pants. And, and keep in mind, you're like, you got to be a good one, six inches taller than me. I'm six foot four, so. And, and it, to, to be fair, I've, I've you know, I've put on a couple of pounds, but no, you are not, you are not a, uh, you are not a big person to begin with.
1: Anyway, I'm, I'm, that, that is a funny story. I, I didn't realize we were going to tell that story, but yeah, you, you got into my pants. <laughs> I think I might've told it before. So sorry, sorry, long time, Western. Sorry for the repeat. Anyway, um, there wasn't lots of me to begin with. And then 10 pounds less over the course of three days. Oh my gosh, it was miserable. I didn't leave the house. I didn't eat anything. Anyway, I'm, I'm slowly starting to feel better, but even two weeks later at the the hangover effects are still there. It's it's been awful. So w- was it food poisoning or or they don't?
0: I mean, po- if it lasts that long, it sounds like it was something other than food
1: poisoning. Yeah, the the doctor thinks it was stomach flu, like some kind of gastroenteritis or something. But the crazy thing is, they're not really sure. Like they ran tests, and it's it's like based on the symptoms, they start to guess at what it is. But they think it was it was a gastric thing. And the terrible thing is, there's not much you can really do except wait it out.
0: <laughs> Anyhow, we have, we have now spent uh, way too long on, uh, on yes. a sorted subject, to, to be sure. Um, speaking of non sorted subjects, uh, and, and we're terrible at these segues, uh, And, and
1: uh, but, but what are you going to do? Well, we have, a, um, we have a new sponsor, which we're very excited about. So this episode is sponsored by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an automated investment service built for the modern era, and it's making it easier than ever to invest your money well. How do they do it? Well, Wealthfront uses software instead of retail locations, salespeople, and so on, so it can offer sophisticated investment advice at low costs that were previously impossible. It's exploded in popularity in the last two years, and they now have more than $2.5 billion under management. Check them out at slash exponent to get up to $15,000 managed for free. Yes, our thanks to uh, Wealthfront. Cool. Well, um,
0: speaking of managing money, Uh, I, I wrote about some, to, to, to a degree, I wrote about venture capital this week. Mm. And actually this was a, uh, this was a a very hard, difficult article to write for multiple reasons. Um, one was, uh, just like my audience. Like I, I have maybe a a good portion of my audience that knows this stuff inside and out Mm. like way, even more than I do. Cause they, I mean, they live it, right. They're actually doing investments where they're working in the space and they're dealing with startups and uh i don't i'm on the outside you know uh we, you could use all kinds of descriptors to say what i do uh <laughs> but uh you know i certainly i'm familiar with the train but i'm not i'm not living it i'm not living it day to day um so that's one and but on the one hand like you have a very knowledgeable audience you want to get into the nitty gritty right mm-hmm. on the other hand there's people who know even less than me uh which is probably the majority of my audience And in that case, you want to just kind of give like an overview and and like, you know, talk about broader themes without getting into the details. Uh, And it's interesting because this is this is something that I is always a challenge. Um, You know, I'll get feedback on both sides of Mm. articles like, oh, you know, well, I think you present this too simplistically. And I said, oh, can you not use so many so much industry jargon, blah, 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 blah. but I don't know. For this one, I just felt the pain particularly, particularly deeply. I did end up going more for a broader base, um, and of course, I've gotten a few emails from folks saying, "Well, actually, if you break it down, blah, blah, blah But I don't know. It, it was interesting. For some reason, that's just kind of top of mind. So I'm glad we're we're going to talk about it at least a little bit. Mm. I think there's there's some interesting nuances to to get into.
1: Absolutely, and it, it's interesting that you pick one firm and or even one service as like the enabler of the disruption. And it wasn't something that I was expecting you to pick. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the, that that was the, that's the, it is a generalization. So
0: basically my, my, what I think is interesting is, The the very structure of Silicon Valley has shifted and shifted significantly over the last 10 years. And it's one of those um, frog boiling things. And yes, I know that the frog boiling thing is not real, but we're just going to use it because it's useful. Everyone (laughs) is familiar with it. We know it. But, you know, the idea where you turn up the temperature one by one and suddenly the frog's boiling, right? Uh, That is what is I think has happened to the valley where there has been this kind of drip, drip of changes, Uh, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years in the funding environment. And none of it seemed extraordinary when it happened at the time until you look back and you realize, holy cow, things are totally different than than they used to be. Mm. And specifically, I, you know, uh, VCs have traditionally provided the funding for startups and they provided funding for most of a startup's life from the very beginning. uh up until up until an IPO, and that's no longer the case. I mean, to be sure, startups have always gotten money from friends and family, and from people you know contributing, paying it forward. People have gotten rich, and you know, in the past, and they're, 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 those have been called angels. But what's happened is this kind of angel level, this kind of personal, which is very much built on personal connections, which is an angle we should we should get into for sure, mm. uh, has really become professionalized, and they're not just investing their money; they're also investing other people's money, and they're doing it uh, at. Uh, and and on the on the top end, you have all these these big money firms who traditionally invested via via venture capitalists. I mean, in tech, we everyone thinks of venture capitalists as the money guys. Um, you know, the people who 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 make you know they they have all, they, have, they write the checks. Mm. Uh from, from uh the perspective of people who actually have money, they're money managers. They're just a particular asset class, you know, no like the hedge fund manager, like a stock manager, like a bond manager, there's a venture capital mm. manager. And um and now you're seeing more and more of these big funds getting into startups. Uh, I guess it's hard to call them startups, but unicorns, basically, uh, that aren't public. They've traditionally invested once they're public, but now they're investing when they're private. And basically, you now have three levels of investment happening. You have this angel level. You have the VC, the VC levels, and they're still there, and they're still important. And probably a regret I have is uh, not articulating clearly enough that VCs do still matter and why they do. And then you have the the these kind of investors coming in at the very at the very end of the game, and that's that's a big change. It's a very big change from what used to be kind of a single asset class to being chopped up into three different levels
1: yeah I mean we touched on the the big uh the big uh, how would you call it, like equity? Pri- it's not quite private equity type money, but like the big asset managers coming in from the top, like big dumb money treating unicorns more as a portfolio. We touched on this maybe a few months ago, but what was really interesting to me was uh, was putting that in the context of also Seeing the angels start to, the angels and the incubators effectively start to gain legs, start to gain traction, start to gain scale. And in a certain sense, uh, what's happening to the VCs is they're being squeezed from both sides. Right, exactly. And,
0: and I think the real enabler of this, um, and this was end up being the, the pit of the art, our article, is um, Amazon and Amazon Web Services. And that's a simplification to be clear. Um, basically, Especially when it came to internet services uh, back in the '90s, you had to go buy like Sun servers and Oracle databases, and and you had to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars to even get started. Uh, and they were all upfront costs, and that's what venture capital is good for, right? Venture capital funds upfront investment that will only pay off over the, over the long run. And there's people, there's this weird sentiment uh that that persists um i think particularly i don't know it feels like it's more among, among the, the apple crowd. maybe not but like that is anti-venture capital and thinks it's it's a bad thing and mm. that's 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 wrong like venture capital is super important uh there are a lot of not all businesses should take venture capital and a, mm, a lot of stars uh, make that mistake but for businesses that that one operate at that Operate at scale or only make sense at scale. Any advertising business, for sure. Any co- any business that needs a significant sales or marketing staff to be off the ground, like most enterprise companies do. In all these businesses, you have to make substantial investments ahead of revenue and ahead of profit. You can't bootstrap your way to being an advertising network. Mm. You can't bootstrap your way to being a competitive enterprise vendor. Like it just, it doesn't work that way because you have to get scale. And you have to get scale before you have profitability, and that's where venture capital comes in. Venture capital makes that possible. They give you the money to get scale, and then, with the, and then they get the share of the returns afterwards, and it's great. It, it is one of the key reasons why Silicon Valley is what it is, is the venture capital industry. And they are, on balance, uh, a, a, absolutely a good for tech. Good for the economy and good for
1: good for the world. Mm. I wondered exactly what you meant by "there's a certain demographic that's anti VC," and and I, I think I know what you're talking about, which is the folks that are doing independent development. And there, there are just some businesses that don't necessarily need to scale. Like it's better to get a, a product market fit, bootstrap, and do it yourself. And there are certain pressures that come along with VC. Like once you take venture capital money, there are certain imperatives that come along or or implications, assumptions that what's going to happen to the business, like because of the returns that the VC needs, they want to swing for the fences and it's going to take the business in a certain direction. And not every entrepreneur wants to do that. But I guess coming back to your broader point, it's interesting. uh, AWS, what I think you're saying is AWS has effectively lowered the amount of capital required in order to start one of these big, um, scale scalable businesses. It's it's basically taken something that used to be a big fixed cost, setting up all the Sun servers or whatever, variabilized it, and such entrepreneurs are able to get get things rolling with substantially less capital than they than they used to need. And therefore they can bypass going to the VCs and start speaking to angels earlier instead.
0: Right. Well, it's it, it, there's there's a few angles going on here. So one thing I again I, I overgeneralize this to AWS today. There's other services as well. Mm-hmm. There's obviously Microsoft Azure. There's Google uh, uh, Google Apps, uh, not Google Apps, um, Google App Engine. Uh, and then, but the, the idea of there being uh, servers available kind of as a service did predate Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using Amazon and AWS, and I should have probably put this in a footnote as a placeholder for this this movement. Yeah. But by far the the, the the most important and the biggest impact has been has been Amazon and AWS in part because they they can actually stick with you all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. So you have companies like Netflix and Dropbox that are still on AWS, right? Whereas some of the services that I you started before, you, you would have to transition off at some point. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, th- there's something. Uh, before I get to exactly what you said, you, you said one little phrase in passing that I think is super important. You talked about the returns that venture capitalists need. Mm. And this is, I think, a perspective that people forget. And that's what I was talking about, venture capitalists just being a type of money manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think about companies that get investment need to generate returns commensurate with that investment. But th- that exact same dynamic applies to venture capitalists themselves. It's not their money. I mean, they, they may be investing some of their money. Uh, in the fund, but most of the money in the fund comes from li- what are called limited partners the, all the people we know, you know, the Mark Andreessen's the bill of the world, those are called general partners. But then there's limited partners, which basically they're limited because all they do is contribute money. Um, and these are pension funds. Uh, these are university endowments. These are uh, family trusts like we're talking like real money. Well, who, they're they're writing like minimum like twenty five million dollar checks and probably more than that. And what they're looking for is they have a diversified portfolio of assets. They have some in bonds, some in stocks, have some in cash, like, you know, and, but part of that diversified portfolio is some part of it is they're seeking high return. And that is where the venture part comes in. They invest in venture capital firms, uh, in the goal of getting a higher return than they would elsewhere. And obviously with that comes the higher risk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the the point though is that that money. The great thing is it comes on one perspective with very little conditions attached to it. It has to be committed for ten years, uh, usually, and so that gives venture capitalists a lot of freedom and leeway. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if you ever want to raise another fund, like you have to, you have to actually make money on on your first fund. And so there, there is significant pressure on venture capitalists to drive those returns. And that's where the pressure on startup comes from. Uh, it, it, it's all coming back in this money is, is seeking a return. And again, th- there's nothing wrong about this. It's actually a really good system. The incentives are actually very well aligned all the
1: way down. And that's why it's worked so well. Well, I I think that's the that's the part that's beholden on entrepreneurs that before you take venture capital money is to understand what those incentives are because they are the the VCs are making in order to make those returns they're making high risk investments and. Uh, eight, eight, seven or eight out of ten of them won't work out. One or two of them will do pretty well, and one will do incredibly, incredibly well. And the VC is trying to make, like, trying to push every one of those businesses to be the unicorn that does incredibly well. That that's the that's the portfolio maker, the fund maker. And there's a certain sense of pressure and a certain sense of expectations around how the business will be run in order to make that, because that's what the VC is looking for. And if if you're starting a business and that's not what you want to do, if you don't want to scale it to a billion people or or have this massive, this this massive business, and that's okay, then you want to be very careful taking VC money because that's the direction they're going to take you. Abs- no, absolutely, and I think
0: that's uh, the you just hit on a super key point, which is for this model to work, the venture capital firms need gargantuan returns from just one or two companies, right? It, investing in, and we talked about this with kind of the unicorn portfolio idea, mm-hmm. like you just need one to hit it and one to hit it will make up for every other every other uh, fund or every other company in the fund. and And that means that like from if you want to be like super harsh about it, a middling company is barely an, better than a failed one and arguably worse. Yeah, right. And it's worse because you're wasting time on it. It's And, and you're wasting time that isn't spent nurturing and building up your
1: real winner or finding a, another one. Right. And that's exactly where – that's where the uh – that's where the <laughs> the lack of alignment around incentives can be really, really bad because an entrepreneur can see this is this this company's doing pretty well, you know. Like we're not going to turn into a billion dollar company, but we're doing really well. And the VC's like, no, like either like I'd rather I'd rather up the ante, like double down, make it bigger. And like, I'd rather, I'd rather either see it hit out of the park or I'd rather it die. And that's like one of these instances where the, the alignment around incentives can really create some tension between a VC and an entrepreneur.
0: No, for sure. Uh, I got to stop saying no every time I respond to you. But yes, for <laughs> sure. Uh, so what's interesting now, so the reason why this is important to understand this dynamic is it used to be that you needed at a minimum a couple million to start a company. You need to buy all that equipment. You needed to pay salaries and pay salaries, not just for the people building the application, but also for the folks just to maintain the equipment. Mm. And, um, with AWS, where, as you said, it's a variable cost. You pay for it as you use it. And, and adding the fact that AWS will give, and, and Azure and all this stuff will give startups like $100,000 worth of credits off the top. Um, it's not really a cost. Your only cost is, are people and, you know, office space. If, 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 that, if, if, if you're um, grown out, it like coffee shop. right, right, exactly. Uh, but what this means is that to get a new company off the ground only takes a couple hundred thousand of dollars. And, and in fact, you can, it takes less than that. You could start the company in your spare time, you are know, at least working on the product, but if you, if you want to make an honest go of it, you want to get in there and you want to devote yourself to it. You You don't need that much money. Um, and, and so what's interesting is this has opened the door for uh for this new class of investor to invest. so the big advantage that VCs always had was they they I called them our ar- ar- arbitragers, and, and that sounds negative. It's not like our that's how you make money is, is by being kind of the person in the middle. Uh we talked I've talked about a long time ago as far as like friction, right? And and the what VCs had was they had access to capital on one hand, and so that gave them an advantage over other potential investors. And on the flip side, they had access to information that the capital holders didn't. So VCs said, oh, we know more about startups. We understand people. We understand the ecosystem. We can evaluate an entrepreneur and, and his idea. We can decide where to allocate your capital for you. And on the flip side, they're like, oh, yeah, sure. This guy, Joe Schmo in the street, knows a lot about the startups, but he doesn't have any money to invest. So they had they had this, this, this kind of, th- th- they were in the middle. What changed is once you no longer needed very much capital to get started, that meant way more people could get you started. You didn't have to have a VC from day one. It, and so all these angels who made money off of Google, made money off of uh, Facebook, made money off of Twitter, uh, wh- whoever whoever it might be, they have they're not rich enough to be an LP in a venture firm. But- they, they can spare a couple hundred thousand dollars in an idea that looks promising or get together with other folks and put in 50,000 or 25,000. And that gets the company off the ground. And not only that, it's a double sided whammy for the VCs because one, they're competing against people who have even more information than they do because they're in the, they're like they're living and breathing inside the actual startup ecosystem, not down in Sand Hill Road, Menlo Park. Um, but two, that's just too small for a VC like they we talked about the management aspect they can't they don't have the time or resources to write $50,000 checks or $200,000 checks to a whole host of companies the vast vast majority of which are going to fail like the the, the increase in new companies is also accompanied by a, a parallel increase in the companies that fail
1: um and uh, vcs just can't afford to to muck around it's interesting and and from the perspective of the entrepreneurs so so it's thinking about it from angels and VCs is the supply side, but the demand side, it's like, well, I can get, I can still get access to really good counsel from these angel investors. Like these ta- these people are oftentimes former entrepreneurs themselves. They're doing it um, because they, they're they really passionate about it. They're really interested in the space. They have some great experience. Um, they the there's like less infrastructure required to like going and getting an investment from an angel is 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 oftentimes a lot less effort than shopping yourself around to uh, a whole bunch of the venture capital firms. So so from the perspective of the entrepreneurs, uh, it's it's fantastic. What's then becomes interesting to me is um, by the time that the companies are then at the point of needing more money than what they'd get from, Uh, angels, they're at the point of going to the venture capital firms, they've oftentimes established product market fit, and they're making money, and the venture capital firms aren't so VCS used to do what angels do they'd make they'd be making bets before there was revenue coming in it, it would they'd have to like project out there'd be a lot less certainty around the future of the business now when they' when these firms are going to VCS there's a lot more certainty like someone's popped out the other side of Y Combinator they've got revenue they're seeing user growth and um, like okay how are we going to like the, the the nature of the competition the the nature of the environment in which you're investing for these guys has dramatically dramatically changed right exactly and so what's happening with the VCs is uh
0: on, in some perspective it's great because they have a much better idea of what they're investing in so uh i i i haven't seen specific numbers on this i would love to um, but I would suspect that old thing OVCs just succeed on one one out of ten is a if one out of ten is a hit they're doing well mm. you know two out of ten break even I would bet those ratios have gone up by a fair but but by, by at least some significant amount because they're they're not investing in a PowerPoint they're investing in an actual product that has been built and has customers uh, on the flip side that means that the information asymmetry that they used yeah. to invest on is gone and that's where all the money that like that's the biggest money the, the the biggest money is in knowing is in the information asymmetry about what startups are hot and what what startups aren't but if if you're no longer investing in a pure startup you're investing in a product that information asymmetry is gone which means you're you're one you're uh you're more likely to know what you're investing in but two you're likely buying in at much higher valuations and for much, much more money because you're commoditized to. Yeah. I mean, I mean at, at at a very high level and I know the VCs listening to this are just are going to hate this and I've already gotten a few annoying emails, but yeah, it's, it's, it's commoditizing. It's commoditizing VC at least relative to the value it used to provide like VCs primary differentiation used to be superior information And the area where that differentiation matters the most, uh, VCs no longer play in and they no longer, again, it's not just that it's not just that startups can go to angels. It's that again, and this is super important and fits with kind of like disruption theory, like it's unprofitable and untenable given their business model for venture capitalists to play in the seed funding round. Mm -hmm. The amounts at stake are just too small. VC, is not structured to make investments of a few hundred thousand dollars and so th- it's not just that they're they're down in menlo park and and everyone else is in san francisco it's also that they the very structure of their business
1: prevents them from even competing mm. it's interesting it's, it's so interesting it is a great example of disruption like it's it's Uh, it's asymmetric to the business model. Now, I, I feel like we're talking about this in black and white terms when it is still a spectrum. Like the idea that there's not, like we've moved to a world where VCs are purely commoditized and they can't add value um, I, I, I definitely don't think we're getting there. But I, I do think that we're heading in a little bit in that direction. And then it becomes you're an entrepreneur and it looks like you've got traction. You're still going to need to take money. Who are you going to take money from? You're much more inclined. Like The way I think this is going to play out is it's going to – We've talked about the rainforest. I feel like the rainforest analogy works really well here too, that the angels are this thriving ecosystem on the rainforest floor. And then there are going to be the the VCs that have this storied reputation and have the best people at guiding startups from the point at which they're taking VC money all the way through to an IPO, the Sequoias, the Andreessen Horowitzes of the world, and, and entrepreneurs think about the there's a prestige of being associated with firms like this. And plus, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd be out there in saying this. Andreessen is, is typically offering a lot more money than a lot of the other firms. They're just like, we're going to double down. We're going to provide all this infrastructure to young startups in order for them to, to help them grow to be as successful as possible. So they're thinking about, like, how can, what can we do to help make the the uh, proposition of us investing in a startup as attractive as possible for an entrepreneur, absolutely. And I think the um, and yeah, again, that one thing, one point,
0: I'm glad you raised. and I, this is another point that gets like the difficulty of, of writing this is um, and I I run into this a lot. Like I I can say, for example, like oh, Twitter Moments, it looks really great or like peak Google or whatever. Mm. Like, I'm not saying Google is going bankrupt tomorrow. And I'm Mm. not saying that Twitter is out of the woods. Like, and I'm not saying that VCs are doomed. Mm. Um, However, you can't like the whole point is say directionally Mm. like that. There has been a shift in direction of this industry of this environment. And I don't know, this is, you know, this is, Third world complaint. I shouldn't do this. I'm probably going to stop like this is the hardest thing about writing online, right? You you're you're I am now known as Twitter's biggest cheerleader when there's tons of problems with Twitter. All the problems I've been writing about for months have not gone away. There's tons of problems with moments. It probably won't succeed because the the odds are stacked against any Internet company restarting growth. It just hasn't happened but I can still say, like directionally, they're in a better place than they were. But whatever. Uh, sorry, that's my that's my that's my self indulgent rant of the day. But same thing here. Like VCs aren't doomed by any means, and what they provide is still necessary. And uh, and angels can can get you started. But the actual, in some respects, startups need more money today than ever before, which seems counterintuitive. Yes, it's true that it's much easier to get started, but by virtue of being easier to get started it's easier for everyone to get started mm-hmm. you lower the barrier of entry and you're going to have way more competition which means go back to our enterprise example like you have no choice but to invest in a massive sales team sooner rather than mm-hmm. later because if you don't your competitors are and once and there's a limited pool of enterprise customers in the world and once they're locked up they're locked up and so like the actual need for significant investment more in is actually bigger than it was before and so the, the, the whole asset class of VCs is not going anywhere, but the nature of why they're needed has changed and the stage of where they come in has changed. And to your point, that means the industry itself is going to change. Uh, yes, there will be the same names on a lot of doors, but what they do, what value they provide, the size of the funds they raise, the terms they offer money at are all going to change. And
1: they have been changing. They've changed significantly over the last several years. And, and I, f- I feel like a lot of the, th- there's been enough room in the ecosystem for, uh, tier three and tier two players. And I feel like life's going to get particularly, particularly tough for them because the, the companies that they traditionally would have funded will get the money from angels. And then either th- th- those companies hit it. And they're looking to scale, and yeah, the the enterprise example is a great one. If you're an enterprise, if you're selling to enterprises, you want to fill your customers with confidence. So you're you get you get take money from Sequoia or Andreessen. You walk in the door, you can say, "Yeah, we're a startup, but we're backed by by Sequoia or Andreessen," and it fills people with confidence. Like, okay, I can build. I can. I, I, I want to implement you. I feel like you're going around. You're not going anywhere. The, the the role for the tier three and tier two VC firms, it's like, okay guys, who are you going to be talking to? The angels have got all the things early on and the companies that are going to be successful uh, the, that start to make it like to, to, to break out of the stratosphere. Why are they going to talk to you? Right? Exactly. But Chris Dixon wrote an article um, last summer about the, the Babe Ruth effect
0: in, in, uh, in venture capital, which is basically this, that the vast majority of returns have always gone to the best firms, mm. but th- I absolutely agree. That's exactly, that's going to intensify mm. the, the rich are going to get richer and all these and all these middling firms are, aren't, are, are going to be in trouble. And, and you see this, I mean, Andreessen Horowitz is, um, again, they're, they don't have the long-term track record of the other firms, but what, what is so, uh, intriguing about the company, why people are so fascinated by them specifically beyond Mark Andreessen tweeting, uh, Which it does a lot of. Well, the entire—it's a completely different venture capital firm that is based on this premise. It's based on the premise that venture capital is no longer in the seed stage of building companies; it's in the uh, growth stage of building Mm. companies. So, one, they've raised massive funds because companies are going to need more you're buying in at a higher price because you're not buying into ideas, you're buying into products. Mm. And three, they actually, um, Andreessen Horowitz is like 100 people or something, Like, and only a few of them are in investments. The rest are, they have a business development division, they have a recruiting division, they have an HR division. The idea being that you start up focus on the product and we will take care of all the other stuff for you and help you build up your, your whole thing. And the idea is you're, you're no longer just selling capital like venture capitalists were set were selling startups capital back in the day but that's no longer the reason to if you're just selling capital to your point you're going to be commoditized so you have to sell something else now that said uh, and it, I love the model the real reason Anderson Horowitz gets great prices is because you can give Ben Horowitz on your board right i mean you you will get a bigger portion of a company at a at a smaller price to have their name attached to you And that's fine. That's how commodity, that's the natural course of commodity markets is that branding matters more, uh, value add matters more. And you see, that's what you're going to see happen more and more.
1: Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's funny. I I have a few friends in VC and of course, they uh, they kind of like a little. Everyone's a little testy about these these big firms that are emerging. And one of one of my VC friends joking jokingly referred to some of these full service firms as like blackening the sky with people. It's like we're not about darkening the sky. Like so many people, there are so many people flying around in these firms that you can't even see the sun. And I laughed at it, but I I think given the dynamic that's happening, it makes complete sense. You. That there's so the world is awash in all this capital. Like there's so much money seeking out these opportunities in the in the tech sector. And uh, again, they're being squeezed. VC firms are being squeezed at the top by traditional fund managers who have lots and lots of money. What are you going to offer? Like you need to offer something more than capital. And like if you can bring. The advice of people like Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, if you can bring the name attached to that and the reputation that's attached to it, and if you can bring operational support because you've got all these fantastic people that have worked in startups, done it before, and have a market impact, uh, like a non-trivial or a non-zero impact on whether the startup investment is going to be successful again, you're not just… Uh, you're not just making yourself a more attractive partner for the entrepreneur. As as, a, uh, as an investor, as a venture capitalist, you're more likely to get great returns as a result. Right, because it's still, I mean, you, you still, it doesn't matter if you invest in a super successful
0: startup if you pay too much for it, right? It's still, you, got, you, 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 want, you need some sort of asymmetry in the price you pay and the price you sell. And being able to buy in to get a greater portion of the company at a lower price is how you generate returns. just the way you do that it used to be all about picking mm. and and picking still matters. you have someone like like I mean benchmarks probably the best example uh, Bill Gurley being the, the most famous partner there they're they're sticking with 400 million dollar funds and a very small staff and they're just they're just unbelievable at picking companies Uber, Snapchat, uh, like a whole host of them and and but man that's getting, it's doable, but it's getting it's getting harder and harder. And and to be fair, I mean, Benchmark does does more than that, right? You're getting some really good advice. You're getting support. You're getting connections, where those connections be business development connections, where they be funding connections, whether they be um whatever is necessary to get you through the hard times. And this is the number one complaint I got from a few venture capitalists in my email was, "Hey, you, I, I, you know, we we do more than just give money and." Yes, that's true, it, and it absolutely is true, and it will remain to be true. That said, it's a little – every company and every industry – and it, this was what makes it so rich because it's venture capitalists, right? Every industry that is getting disrupted has a whole host of reasons why they won't be.
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: and it's not that those reasons go away, and this is kind of the key point. It's not that, it's not that, it, it's not that it doesn't matter that Starwood has a great – set of brands or that, you know, the Hilton group has a great, great set of brands that, that it, it's not that that's no longer true. It's that that's no longer the most important thing, right? right? It, it used to be the most important thing in choosing a hotel room was feeling safe. And the whole thing with Airbnb, what made, what makes it such an impact is that once you remove that factor because it, nothing matters more than that. As as long as your personal safety is on the table, all the other factors that come into choosing a place to stay are immaterial. But once you remove that, it's like a dam. It's like opening up a dam, right? So like all this other stuff flows out that might matter more. If you know you're safe regardless that because of, you know, trust has been commoditized, I argue with like Airbnb, then location matters, price matters. Uh, the sort of place you're living in matters. And now it's not that hotels are doomed or that ha- being known as a place you can depend on doesn't matter. Uh, it does matter, but it just it's not the only thing. It's one of many things that matters. And it's the same thing with VCs. It's not that VCs don't value add because many do, and they do a great job. And like I said, I I love venture capital in a, I'm deeply appreciative of what it has done for Silicon Valley, what it's done for America, what it's done for the world. Uh, but they no longer have exclusive exclusivity when it comes to what matters. The, what they offer is one of many things that matter. And that's, that's what, that changes things.
1: Yeah, it does. It's, it, it really does. I mean, the, the point about, I don't, like the example of, of, uh, of Airbnb and trust and taking trust out of the equation. And okay, let's imagine a world where you assume trust is given, like what are the other things that then become more important as a result, or what are the other factors which consumers will start to take more into account? Because on a on a relative basis, because trust trust relatively it stays the same, but it becomes commoditized. And I, I feel like this is this is a case of capital is is almost becoming commoditized. The need for it is being uh, the need for it is being reduced, and there's more of it and if you're in the venture capital business you're going to need to bring something else to the table other than money because it's no longer enough right exactly exactly
0: and and like i said many venture capitalists do i'm not 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 denigrating them but i mean they sitting on the outside I, I have i you know there's there's certainly there already has been a transformation that's just that just The way it is. And so the other thing that's interesting is this week there was two pieces of news. One is AngelList, uh, which basically AngelList makes it really easy for angels to collaborate on an investment without having to go through all the legal stuff you'd have to do every time, which takes a long time and makes it given the size of the investment, makes it not really workable. Like they have a standard template, a standard form you go in and boom, it's done. Uh, They... Just got a $400 million, raised uh, a raise of $450 million fund, including $400 million from a Chinese venture uh, um, that basically will let them do two things. One, of, an angel can go and say, oh, I, I commit to doing a $250,000 investment without knowing if he has other angels as part of his what's called a syndicate. Like, because presuming they're on, like the, I'm not sure how it'll work exactly, but they're on like the Angelist trusted list. Uh, Angelist will back him up on that so that's one so you can make deals faster which you know at the seed stage matter, matters more um and then two uh you c- now angel list will along with with angels do follow on rounds so once you get past the seed stage and you have what looks to be a viable company that's when you want to double down but now this is where venture capital ha- still has that capital advantage they have more money to put to work um and so an angel may want to invest in a series A or a series B but uh, they just don't have enough money to do so. Well, now Angelus like, well, we will help you with our fund to do that. And uh, that's one. The other one is Y Combinator. Y Combinator has always been an incubator. They invest, you know, what is it, seven hundred thousand dollars? No, they invest two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a startup in return for seven percent of the equity, and they go. Th- but it, and you go through this program. Um, and but now they've raised a growth fund, which again is to do follow on investments. They did their first one this week in a Series B. And the whole point is that's those are the VC rounds. Now the little guys at the market, again, classic disruption. They come in. They do the messy work that the VCs neither aren't as good at and aren't really structured to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. And now they're moving up into what the VCs – are good at and are structured to handle, but they have the relationships. They know the founders, the founders trust them. Why, you know, why Combinator is brilliant at this. They have this entire network. They're like, we'll take care of you. You have all the guidance and counsel and all the things you need. That VC sitting over there who you've never met, he's telling you about how VCs are all value add and stuff. You have all the value add you need. You can take money from us. You can get dumb money from, from, from whoever. uh, And, you need to treat capital as a commodity because you have all the other stuff you need, and that's what's really dangerous for for VCs.
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I, 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 uh, I'm thinking back to I'm thinking back to the. The comparison with Airbnb and Trust, and how that's affected the hotels, and I wonder if there isn't. Uh, so, so fundamentally, there's there's typically a, an enabling technology or, or something that enables a disruption to take place. And your description around what's happened with uh, AngelList, I wonder if that's. Not almost as important as AWS because, on one hand, AWS has reduced the amount of uh, it's reduced the amount of money a startups required in order to get get things going, but uh, the the nature of the standard terms uh, and the the nature of uh, Angel List enabling angels to band together to make investments together has also reduced the amount that an individual needs to have to be able to invest in one of these companies. And that's also, it's also enabling this phenomenon uh, to to accelerate. But maybe. I mean, there,
0: there's still questions about, you know, is Angelus going to actually be able to pull all this off? And mm-hmm. and there's lots of interesting questions. Like They have a 5% carry, which definitely uh, impacts returns. Is it healthy to uh, basically have doing deal-to-deal carry instead of a fund uh, having, you know, basically a fund carry so the, everyone shares in the pain of the winners and losers. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, when you do a deal-by-deal basis, there's some weird things that happen with incentives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. um So, no, it, I, I think so. But I, I, I still put the the big, I think the real triggering effect here is still AWS. I think mm-hmm. what Angelus is, it's kind of the, w- whenever you have a new industry and a new thing, over time, it it acquires structure And a way that works like the first few years are very hairy, you know, like the classic example, car industry, right in 1900 or 1905, there are like a thousand car companies. Now there's like three in the U S and not that many around the world. And because that's what happens to industries, they, they're, they gain, they, they come kind of their natural point, which has some structure as way things work together. And I think angel list is a part of that. Again, I don't know if it's the end game, but it's certainly in that direction. But the big, to me, the big thing, the big thing that really changed this is uh is AWS introduced competition at the earliest stage of fundraising by just drastically lowering the prices. And and I, I started out uh with the idea that you know people have tried to copy silicon value, right? And it's impossible to copy because we know what the inputs are, but but there's so many variables that go into it and the proportion, all that. It's a classic, you know, it's a nonlinear system where you know the the whole butterfly effect idea is where you know you change one thing at at you know a butterfly mm. flaps its wings in Brazil causes a t- tornado in Texas. Right. Um, th- that may or may not be quite true, but the idea is you change one little thing on the inputs and it has dramatic effects on the output somewhere else. And I think it, it's interesting to see that. Th- to me, that is that is a again I'm using AWS's as placeholder for a broader trend. But that is what it's done. You change the inputs Mm. into what is necessary to start a startup. And basically what was a relatively stable structure for 40, 45 years is now today completely
1: different. And it's going to get even more different over the next couple of years. I think it's a great point. I, 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 yes, I definitely think that the order of magnitude reduction in the cost to start a tech business, as represented by AWS and all these services that are continuing, like that, that are continuing to make it easier to start businesses, and it, like, it's it's only going to continue, uh, whether it's uh, things like. Uh, Benefits and gusto, reducing the the overhead, like being able to outsource all the accounting and all the people stuff. Like it's just getting easier and easier. The cost is going down and down. Um, one thing that's we want to. One thing that's really interesting is someone emailed me this about my article today,
0: and they they noted that actually. Um, so there's been a big shift in kind of Silicon Valley from the Valley to San Francisco, mm-hmm. right, where all, all the big companies of yesteryear are all in the Valley mm-hmm. and almost all the unicorns are in San Francisco. Mm. And they're like, actually, this is also because of AWS, because you remember I made I told about the anecdote. Someone told me about oh. how they, they restructure offices and they oh, no longer need server rooms. Well, you can't afford to pay square footage for servers in San Francisco. But if you if your if your startup is only some people and a desk and a computer, suddenly it's much more viable. You have you have companies running businesses out of WeWork offices. Uh, so WeWork, the whole reason WeWork can exist is because you don't need to have servers, like because all the servers are housed by Amazon. And so actually, the fundamental fabric of Silicon Valley is changed because of AWS. Like that, that's it, it's the the butterfly effect of this service. And again. Just manage
1: service servers in general, it's dramatic. That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, I mean, oftentimes it's it, it tends to be younger people creating uh, this, the, these these businesses, and uh, again, to generalize, they'd much rather be in an urban than a suburban environment. And almost all, not all, but almost all of these software companies software tech companies are up in the city the funny thing is of the of the tech companies that are being started down south they tend to be more hardware biased and it makes complete sense because the hardware companies still oftentimes need the space it's really expensive to rent out the space to to do the hardware stuff not that it's all necessarily happening in it's oftentimes being built in China, but at least at prototyping and whatever, it often requires machinery and space, place to store things, and that remains down south. But all the software stuff is up in the city because yeah, the server rooms have completely disappeared.
0: Yeah, so it, I mean, it, it, it's it's really interesting, and I think there's one other point worth making, and that is, and I, I referenced this in passing, but I think it's it's worth making it again. When that New York Times story came out about Amazon. Uh. And and I said at the time the thing that that irked me so much about that was not the reporting which was great it wasn't the fact that abuses occurred because I'm I, I think they did and it's not that there weren't valid questions raised because they were it was the dismissive asides in the article that attempted to reduce Amazon to getting your your Elsa doll to you in 24 hours and it, it was so. It was so arrogant in a, in, a, in a way that ignorance can only be arrogant. The, I mean, you could make the argument that AWS is – and I would make the argument – is right up there with Google and right up there with the iPhone in, in its fundamental transformation of not just technology but industry after industry. I mean, you see you, this Dow thing this week. Uh, I, I wrote about the update, so I won't get too much into it here, but I mean, there there's the largest acquisition in tech history outside of the OL thing mm-hmm. is driven by AWS. Like, because all the, all the traditional enterprise companies are kind of huddled in a corner, like seeing who's going to be the last man standing in whatever, sh- sh- you know, shred of enterprise data space is not taken to the cloud. And, and, Yes, let's let's talk about the work practices. Let's have an honest discussion about it, but let's not pretend like let's not mock this company and the people working there because they're not doing anything
1: worthwhile. Oh my gosh. I, I totally agree. It's it that that the, the the what's happening in enterprise tech, enterprise storage, all the things that AWS is going after. I have this mental image of what used to be this massive landmass and all these companies fighting it out and eventually the 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 ocean is rising aws is rising and it's leaving an increasingly small amount of of landmass and there are fewer and fewer of v- of them. And it's going to be very interesting to see whether any land mass remains by the time that AWS is finished with it. And and I guess this Dell EMC thing, the argument is, well, there's going to be a little bit left and we're going to take whatever it is because we're going to be the biggest. But it remains to be seen whether there's going to be anything left for anybody at all. Yeah, no, I, I mean I like the move, and the reason I like it is because
0: uh, the reality is if if AWS and was like, oh, why are they doing this deal? Don't they have they heard of Amazon Web Services? Of course they've heard of Amazon Web Services, and they know that if Amazon Web Services takes over everything, they're both screwed. Mm. So I mean it, 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 it's it's a very logical response to what is happening. Um, and yes, you can be pessimistic about their macro chances, but you given the macro environment this micro move or whatever, you know, makes.
1: makes yeah, they're, they're making a bet that something will remain. And if nothing will remain, it won't matter what they do anyway. Right,
0: exactly. And, and that's where in our AMC, you know, has storage and data. And it's reasonable to guess, well, if anything's going to remain, it's going to be some level of storage that companies just won't let off their premises they aren't going to let data out or governments or whatever. And that's a good that's, a, and if you're buying from EMC because they have the the best storage product, or whatever, well, then you'll get the Dell servers to go with it. all that sort of stuff. it's it makes it actually makes a lot of sense, given the reality again, this gets, you know, just to deal with my own meta problems, like that doesn't mean that it's going to be a successful acquisition or because, what will make it successful or not successful is actually completely out of Dell's control. Uh, but, you know, so, it, 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 but it's logical. It's like, okay, we don't know how far AWS is going to go. If it goes all the way, we're screwed regardless. Mm-hmm. If they, they don't go, don't go all the way, then what's the most logical thing to do? And it's it's actually very, um, it's very deliberate and smart thinking, you know, in how you model out what's going to happen. And you just got, you you have to be okay with accepting that this aspect is out of my control, and like, and making decisions appropriately after that.
1: Yeah, and next thing you know, they're going to be playing up how the NSA has a direct line into all the AWS services, and you you should probably host all your stuff locally. It's the only way to be secure. Yeah, no, exactly. So,
0: okay, uh, well, uh, venture capital and enterprise software. Well, hopefully, we uh, we don't. One a good match for our for our Wealthfront friends. Um, two, I'm not sure it's a good match for not boring people to tears. But um, again, this episode is sponsored by Wealthfront. Elffront uh, automates habits and strategies that investors should be using on a regular basis, but normally aren't. Uh, great investing is a marathon, not a sprint. And little things that you may not be familiar with, like automated tax loss harvesting, rebalancing, and smart dividend reinvesting, can add up to a very large amount of money over time. Wealthfront does all those things to your money automatically. And as an exponent listener, you'll get $15,000 managed for free if you decide to open an account uh, at wealthfront.com exponent. But just start with seeing the portfolio that they would suggest for you. you can go there without putting any money in. Uh, take two minutes, fill out their questionnaire at, again, wealthfront.com exponent. It's free, and you don't have to give them your email address. You don't have to do anything. You can just go in there, put in your, kind of your, your information. They have no way of identifying you, and they can say, this is what we would probably recommend for you. And then you can decide if you want to go forward from there. So uh our thanks to them for for sponsoring for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, very cool. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm glad you're okay. Uh I was worried, I was I, I'm not gonna lie, I was worried as I not have to carry you once again.
1: Yeah. I I I I thank you. I thank you, Blue Bottle. Like you woke me up. <laughs> how much how did you uh, did you miss a whole bunch of work or what? I did. I was out for a week. like literally there was a there were three or four days where I didn't leave the house. and all last week at work i was I was not there. So I came back to a lot of emails and fortunate, well, lots of people more concerned about me than that I was okay than all the work that i I hadn't done. but uh, there's a little bit of a bank piled up for me to get through. yes. yes. Yeah, so, I
0: mean so I mean, you've been missing a lot of work, I mean, first for burning man and then for burning,
1: uh, I'm just gonna stop. oh my Eric. gosh. I'm glad you didn't finish that uh, sentence. Yeah, the burning man was PTO. But yeah, I mean, there's never a good time to do this. I, again, I would very much rather... Oh, it's I, fine. I, I just wanted to make the burning joke. Okay. Well, you, you, you almost made it. You stepped back at the, at the precipice. Sounds good. All right. Well, I, will, I hope you feel better, and Thanks. I will talk to you soon. See you, mate. Wealthfront Incorporated
0: is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure.